Welcome back, everyone. I hope you've all had a wonderful week. I'm back from vacation, and I vacationed in Vegas. If you're not familiar with Vegas, it is a destination for adults to go and have leisure, have gaming, they have lots of gambling, they have lots of shows, they have lots of things to do in Vegas right on the Strip. And I went there expecting it to be somewhat busy now that we have vaccines and now that people are wanting to get back out, but I never realized the extent of how busy it would be. Vegas is packed. And when I say it's packed, it's more packed than I've ever seen it before. I've been to Vegas, specifically on the Strip, at least a dozen times or so, and I've never seen it this busy before. So my trip to Vegas encouraged me to look into something. How can I invest in this type of demand? There is an enormous amount of demand for people to get out of their home and have experiences. And when I looked through possible investments that fit this criteria, I came across two investments that I'm very excited about. They're in the real estate category, they're REITs, and one of them is Vici Properties, ticker symbol V-I-C-I, and it's an experiential REIT that owns properties like Caesars Palace, and they recently just announced that they're buying the Venetian. Another one is called MGM Growth Properties. It's the real estate company that owns most of the buildings and lands that MGM operates out of. So it's not MGM, the casino, this is the real estate company. And Vici's not Caesars Palace, the casino, but it's the real estate company that owns the land and the buildings. They lease that land to these casinos. These are two investments that yield above 4.3% right now. They have iconic property. I think there'll be long-term demand. And I plan on going through why I'm buying these ones so aggressively, because everything I've done, All the research I've done on these properties over the past few days have made me very excited about them. So I've recently invested about $9,700 into Vici and $1,500 into MGP. I'm investing into these companies heavily. I plan on building up my holding in Vici over time to be a much more significant holding in my portfolio. So we'll go over all of it in this episode. We'll talk about the entire bull case, my entire thesis on this investment, where I see it going in 10 years plus what I think the risks are, what I think the potential downside is. We'll be going over all of it in this video. Now, of course, we also have some other smaller news to get to. Tens of thousands sign a petition to stop Jeff Bezos from returning to Earth. If you haven't heard the news, Jeff Bezos and his brother are going to be flying out to space on a rocket with this company Blue Origin. And apparently there's a petition going around called Do Not Allow Jeff Bezos to Return to Earth and it has 117,000 signatures so far. The signatures continue to be signed as we speak. The description of this petition is that billionaires should not exist on Earth or in space, but should they decide the latter, they should stay there. Now I'm gonna give my response and my reaction to this petition and the question whether or not billionaires should exist. So we'll be going over that as well at the end of this episode. So we have a lot to jump into in this episode. As always, you can thumbs up the video that helps out the YouTube algorithm. And if you wanna see how this all turns out, if you wanna see how these investments do over time, you can consider subscribing to the channel and following along for free. If you hit the little bell icon, that gives you a nice little notification anytime I post a video. Now let's go ahead and jump right into my passive income account and go over the two new holdings that I purchased. First of all, if you wanna see every holding that I have and the current allocation of the portfolio, in the description of every video, there's a link called Dividend Portfolio. If you click on this link, it'll open it up so you can actually look through my portfolio and click on every single holding. The two new holdings that I've decided to add are in the real estate category. They're both REITs. They both pay hefty dividends. One of them is called Vici Properties, ticker symbol V-I-C-I. The other one is called MGM Growth Properties, ticker symbol MGP. Now, don't be confused. 
These are real estate companies. MGM Growth Properties sounds like MGM Resorts, but MGM Resorts is the casino operator and they lease the buildings from MGM Growth Properties. So MGM Growth Properties, this company, is simply a real estate owner. They own the land and the casinos that MGM the casino operates out of. It's very similar to how a franchisee rents the land and the actual building from the owner McDonald's, or how Hilton doesn't actually own the property of a lot of their hotels. They simply lease the building and then they operate out of that building. It's the same situation with MGM Growth Properties and Vici. These own real estate, they own land, they own buildings, and they lease that in a triple net lease structure to their tenants, which are the casino and hotel operators. And they do this because they don't have to worry about much. They don't have to do advertising. They don't have to do maintenance on the property. They simply have capital to buy the land and the property and they collect rent. Now, the reason that I looked into these investments was because I recently visited Vegas and what I saw was demand. Now, when I say that Vegas had demand, I mean demand I've never seen before. I visited Vegas at least a dozen times And it's been busy most of the time, especially if you go on a weekend, but it was incredibly busy. It was basically packed everywhere you go. People are out now. They're having a fun time. This is footage one month ago that somebody uploaded of them walking down the Vegas Strip on a Saturday night. Let's take a look at it. Does this look like people are easing their way back into normal life? Or does this look like people are wanting to get out and have experiences? This isn't something where I think it's going to take three or four years for Vegas to return back to normal. It is returning to normal right now, ahead of what the analysts are predicting. And it's not just weekend nights. Even in the middle of the week in broad daylight in the heat, the streets are busy, people are walking around, hotels are at 90% plus occupancy, restaurants are booked out for weeks. And again, when I tell you restaurants are booked out for weeks, you might be saying that's an over-exaggeration. How could a restaurant be booked out for weeks? Would people really book a restaurant weeks in advance? Yes, they really will. In fact, here is the Caesars Palace Buffet. Uh, The uh, regional president of Caesars uh, Entertainment told me that actually they had 10,000 reservations made in 48 hours on open table. Just incredible, uh, the demand here. Right now, 10,000 reservations made in 48 hours of opening up this buffet. 10,000 reservations. It's open five days a week, Thursdays through uh, Mondays from uh, 4 to 10 p.m. But eventually they're maybe thinking about possibly opening it up seven days a week based on the massive demand they're seeing so far. Buffet cost, by the way, $64.99. So this buffet costs $65 per person. There's so much demand that they can't accept walk-ins because it would be completely swamped. And they had 10,000 people do a booking within the first 48 hours. Now, that was May 20th when it opened. That's when they did this news report. Let's go ahead and see if anything has changed. Make a reservation. All right, we're on the website to make a reservation for two people, 8 p.m. Okay, there's no availability at the moment within 2.5 hours of 8 p.m. That's on the 24th. We can choose the 25th. Again, booked out. 26th booked out 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th. And that's the most that we can book. They have an entire week. Every single time is booked. And I promise you can check yourself. This place is completely booked out every single day of the week. And this is one buffet in Vegas. Now, after seeing this type of demand everywhere I go with everything that I do in Vegas, as an investor, I think 
There's got to be a way to profit off of this. I need to own this demand. There's something special going on here. And unlike the analysts, I don't think that this is going to take two or three years for Vegas to recover. I think that this will be a very quick recovery. I think it will be much more like the end of this year for Vegas to have a full recovery. I really believe that. There is so much demand there, and I don't think the analysts have caught up. So what I wanted to do was find an investment that gave me exposure to this demand, and that's where Vici Properties comes in. Vici owns Caesars Palace. They don't own the casino operator, that is a different company, but they own the buildings, they own the land, and they lease it to Caesars. Now, Caesars Palace is a massive piece of property right in the center of the Strip. It's right on the west side of the Strip. It's a great property, and it was by far the most busy out of any place I visited. It was incredibly busy, probably too busy right now. It was probably a little bit too busy. There was too many people walking through Caesars Palace. The stores were too packed. The buffet was sold out. Everything was completely packed in Caesars Palace. That is the primary property that Vici owns. But Vici Properties is also in the process of buying the Venetian. The Venetian is an incredibly high quality, iconic hotel that sits in prime location in Vegas. And ever since we have the vaccines, it doesn't look empty like this anymore. You can take a trip there. It is, again, completely packed at at least 90% capacity. Now, I want to highlight, this isn't just my anecdotal thoughts on the quality of these resorts. Caesars Palace, for instance, on Google reviews, has a 4.6 star rating with 92,000 reviews. It's a lot of reviews to add up to a 4.6 star rating. That is incredibly high quality. You won't find a lot of places with that many reviews that have that high of a rating. The Venetian has a 4.7 star rating with 88,000 reviews. That is an incredibly high rating with a lot of reviews. That is the same as the Bellagio. So this is about as good as it gets in terms of reviews and ratings for the quality of these resorts. And Vici owns both of them. They already own Caesars Palace. They've owned that one for a long time, but they're also buying the Venetian and they'll own that property by the end of this year. They're going to own two of the most high quality, iconic locations right in the strip of Vegas, which is land that is extremely valuable. Now let's go ahead and jump in to this Zoom interview with Ed Petoniak. This is the CEO of Vici. This was just a couple weeks ago when he gave this interview. He's asked a series of questions. This is a 40 minute interview, so we won't go over all of it, but I wanna highlight some of the things he mentions here. Before we jump into this, let me just highlight that I really like the CEO. I like the way that he thinks. I've watched every single interview going back even years, like three years ago. And I just really think that he's spot on with his assumptions. He's spot on with the direction that he's taking the company. He always is thinking ahead of the curve with every decision that the business is making. And I think he's a really good CEO to be running this company. Here he's asked about the concerns of international travel. Historically, Vegas has relied a lot on international travel. People visiting Vegas from outside the United States. And this has been a pain point because there hasn't been a lot of international travel since 2020. I mean, Canada, as an example, where I lived for many years, is really having a tough time. Uh, And European inbound travel is obviously not robust yet by any means. So I do think it's going to be a while. Maybe, Maybe it's in 2022 that Vegas starts to see meaningful recovery of international travel, but I don't think Vegas is going to pay a price for that through the rest of 2021 and even into 2022 because Americans are going to be going nuts. He's spot on. It does not matter if Vegas sees international travel right now. I think for at least a couple of years, like he says, Vegas has more than enough demand from Americans themselves. They are going nuts there. I've seen it firsthand, and I don't think that's something that's going to quickly fizzle out. 
He's also asked about the goal of Vici, how the goal is to sell experiences, not to sell products, because he thinks that you have a much bigger moat selling experiences than you do products. We we believe in, and we believe this well before COVID, uh, we believe in experiences versus things, right? And if you look at American consumer behavior over much of the last 20 years, you will have seen uh, a growing preference on the part of the American consumer for experiences over things. And one thing we really like about experiences is that they are not under the secular threat that almost all things are under when it comes to real estate and the relationship to those things. And the way we put it, Kevin, is that we want to be in sectors that can't get Amazon. If you sell something that can be put in a box or sent through a wire, you're in danger of your real estate becoming obsolete or at least of less value, right? Mm-hmm. And that obviously applies to a whole bunch of things that get sold in stores. I do know that there are place-based experiences that where the place cannot be substituted for. Can't be put in a box, can't be put through a wire. And as we look at those experiential sectors, we see many of the same investment attributes we love so much about gaming. Lower than average cyclicality versus consumer discretionary. Gaming is actually a lower cyclicality activity in consumer discretionary, believe it or not, right? Gaming was down only 9% peak to trough in the U.S. during the great financial crisis. Uh, Restaurants and retail uh, were down 11, and the S&P 500 revenues were down 18%, right? So we like lower cyclicality. We, again, we don't want secular threat. We want healthy supply-demand balance, so we tend to prefer assets like Chelsea Piers that are complicated and costly to build. And then finally, number four, uh, uh, experiential durability. Experiences that have proven their durability over time and promise to be here for many years to come. They're investing in these experiential investments in real estate that offer experiences that Amazon cannot disrupt. It doesn't matter what Amazon's margins are on their shipping. Doesn't matter whether they have one-day shipping or two-day shipping or two-hour shipping. Doesn't matter if Amazon has drones flying packages in. Doesn't matter whether they own Twitch TV or they have Amazon Prime Video. They're investing in these high-quality, incredibly complex buildings that are in unique locations like the Las Vegas Strip that takes a lot of lobbying and red tape to even begin to get a license to build there in the first place. There's limited land. There's only so many locations like this that exist in the world, and this is the type of places that he invests in. So I think that these type of experiences really can't be disrupted by Amazon or Apple, no matter how much they try. Doesn't matter if Netflix comes out with better content. There's still going to be a huge portion of the economy that wants to travel and have in-person experiences. And because these properties are so unique, they can't be duplicated, a lot of big investment funds are trying to get their hands on them. They're trying to buy properties like Caesar's Palace or Venetian because only so many exist. Here's Ed giving his thoughts on Blackstone, a group that normally doesn't do these type of investments, buying the Bellagio. Blackstone's uh, privately traded REIT, non-listed REIT known as the B-REIT, came in and bought the Bellagio uh, at a very high price, a very low cap rate, but in fact, we think bought a phenomenal piece of real estate at a very attractive price. So on the traditional metrics, 
Blackstone's B REIT, their non-listed REIT, purchased Bellagio for what most people would consider an incredibly high price. But Ed, knowing the industry, knows how iconic and how unique a property like the Bellagio is, and he thinks they got an attractive deal. He talks about how Blackstone, which isn't a gaming real estate company, buying the Bellagio is probably going to become a more common thing because even non-gaming REITs are figuring out that these are really good investments. So Blackstone was was really the first non-gaming REIT to come into gaming real estate. And then they doubled down, if you will, uh, when they bought with MGP, another gaming REIT, uh, bought the real estate of MGM Grand and Mandalay Bay back in January of 2020. Okay, so we were starting to see this incursion of new capital into gaming real estate and thus the validation of gaming real estate by great institutional investors like Blackstone. And then, of course, COVID hit and it all went quiet. Um, And we obviously with Apollo were the first to make really big noise um, as we begin to recover from COVID with the Venetian deal. But I think. What you will see is a continuing realization on the part of institutional real estate investment managers. The gaming real estate represents very, very attractive returns relative to all of their other investment opportunities. So I think Ed, once again, is spot on. Blackstone was one of the first big institutional non-gaming REITs to buy a property like the Bellagio, one of the most high quality, unique assets on the strip. Blackstone's the first one to do this, but I think Ed is correct in saying they're not going to be the last. As other institutional investors come to the realization that these properties are iconic, they have a massive moat, you can't replicate them, and they offer better cash flow than their other investments, I think they're going to want to own these properties. They offer a better risk reward, better future cash flows and returns than the properties they currently have. Um, I'm sure as a lot of your viewers and listeners understand, one of the fundamental ways of talking about real estate value is in terms of what's called a cap rate. And just in case anyone doesn't know what a cap rate means within real estate investment, it simply means the yield you get on your investment, right? So if I buy a building and it's going to pay me $6 of rent a year and I've paid $100 for it, I've paid what's called a six cap for it, right? Because I'm paying $100, I'm getting $6 of rent, thus a 6% yield, thus I've paid a six, a 6% six cap rate. Well, as it happens, we paid a 6.25% cap rate for the Venetian. To put that into perspective, if you want to buy an office building in New York or San Francisco or Chicago, you're going to play a cap rate that probably starts with four. And you're going to wonder, why am I doing this exactly? Because I have vacancy risk. I have this new thing called work from home. I have my tenants saying, I'm not going to need this much space anymore. They may already be subletting it and competing with me to lease any space I have to lease as a landlord. And then when somebody moves out and I have to bring a new tenant in, I have to spend the CapEx on their tenant improvements. So my honest yield here is not very attractive. Um, so it's not going to take too long for people to realize, geez, gaming real estate, especially when we buy it as we do on what's called a triple net basis. Wow, this is this is really good. Investors are discounting the property that Vici owns. They're discounting Caesar's Palace and the Venetian when they should be paying a premium for them. 
They have a better cap rate on these properties, despite the fact that they hold up better during recessions. They have less cyclicality. They have less tenant vacancies. And the Venetian and Caesars Palace both paid 100% of rents on time in 2020. In fact, the entire company Vici, all of their real estate that they own, every experiential property paid all of their rents 100% on time in cash. You can't say the same for store capital. They collected like 70% rents. They took a big hit during 2020. A lot of their tenants could not pay their rent. A lot of their tenants had business models that couldn't last. They didn't have the cash balances to be able to pay. You can't say the same for Realty Income Corp. They had tenants that didn't pay. And you can't say the same for Simon Property or for the medical REITs or for a variety of other types of real estate. Vici collected 100% of rents in cash on time and MGM Growth Properties did the same. They took no hit during 2020. And even though their stock saw a massive sell-off during the panic, their stock quickly recovered once investors realized they're fine. They're collecting rent on schedule like normal. So institutional investors really should be paying a premium for these type of properties. They should have a lower cap rate than the rest of residential or commercial real estate, but they have a better cap rate. Investors are incorrectly discounting these properties when it's completely unwarranted. Now, I want to highlight another part of this interview because he talks about the business model going forward, and he's asked the question if he's picking up any of these these type of resorts and these type of companies that are distressed. Distressed gaming companies. Are there any that he's looking at right now? And he highlights the level of distress that this industry is seeing. By July or August, having reopened a number of our regional assets in 2020, in July and August of 2020, were doing more in operating profit than they had the year before. They were usually running less revenue because of capacity restrictions, but these operators are such great operators. So we don't have any distress in gaming. They're doing more in profits July of 2020 than the year prior. That's how good they are at making money. Even in that type of normally what you would think would be a distressed environment, they're highly profitable tenants paying their landlords full rent on time. Now he goes on to talk about the future growth of this company and the business model. But to your point, we've been very busy. We've done $12 billion of acquisitions in the roughly 40 odd months we've existed. Um... We've raised more equity than any other REIT in America during that period. We've raised $8 billion of equity in the open market. Um, and we have a business model that enables us to be continually forward-looking. Um, it, it is, I do feel, dear dry, like I died and went to business model heaven. <laughs> so over the period you're asking about, we've increased our rent, which because of our triple net structure, means we've increased our net operating income by a billion dollars. Our cash G&A during that period has increased by about $1.5 million, right? So billion dollars of new net operating income, one and a half million of increased cash G&A, right? It's just a wickedly efficient business model. He calls this a wickedly efficient business model and says that he's died and gone to business model heaven. And I think that that's true. During a time of normally what you'd think is economic crisis, they've increased their net income by a billion dollars. They're raising their dividends right now and their dividend history is as strong as ever. He mentions how the efficiency of this business model allows them to have continual capital to be able to look for new purchases. And they have a continual pipeline of properties that they're going to be adding to their portfolio. And because we really don't have to, we don't have to property manage, we don't really have much of an asset management function of the, of the actual physical box. 
we're free to just keep going and looking for opportunities to help people out with capital. So yeah, we're very busy continuing to look at opportunities. And we have, importantly, I think for your members, Deirdre, we have what we believe is the biggest embedded growth pipeline among all of American REITs. And what I mean by embedded growth pipeline is that we have a a package of either right of first refusals or put call agreements that enable us to continue to buy assets over the next few years. And to give you an example of that, uh, starting on January 1st, 2022, which is used to seem like a long way away, but now it's whatever it is, seven months away, seven, seven plus months away, we have the opportunity to call um, two assets in Indiana from Caesars. We can call them at 7.7% cap rates, very attractive. If they wanted to, they could put them to us at an 8% cap rate, which would be more attractive. Um, that constitutes growth, that can constitute growth in 2022, on top of the growth that the Venetian will give us in 2022, uh, given its closing in late 2021. And then beyond that, we have uh, two right of first refusals. Should Caesars decide to sell uh, one or two uh, Las Vegas Strip assets, they believe they're oversupplied on the Strip. So they're looking at probably in 2022 selling at least one asset. That's more growth for us. Uh, we have a put call arrangement on the brand new Caesars Forum Convention Center, which will host the NFL draft at this time next year. Uh, which we can call at a 7.7 cap beginning, I believe, in 2024. Um, and then we have other rovers uh, um, above and beyond that. So we have a growth trajectory going forward that we don't think is frankly equal by any other REIT in America that we can think of. Um, and it, I mean, it all adds up to, you know, continuing deal flow, continuing growth in AFFO per share. And AFFO, as many of your members may know, is the mother's milk of, of REITs because it represents real cash, not notional net income, but real cash that we can then distribute to our shareholders. Now, a lot of CEOs like to talk around in circles. They use a lot of buzzwords. They try to say everything's great, but they're not this specific. He just outlined everything that they have in the works right now in the future, and many other projects that they're looking at. They have extensive detail on their growth pipeline that you can read about online. They have so many opportunities to grow their real income that they can distribute to shareholders. This is one of the REITs that I'm most excited about, not only for the properties that they already own, but also for their growth pipeline in the future. Now, aside from the traditional resorts, which I think will have continued demand for at least the next few years, and I think it's something that Amazon and Apple can't take away, he also talks about esports and gaming. I mean, I know pre-COVID, the, the whole esports business globally was... I don't know how many multiples greater than the movie business, but a lot of multiples greater than the movie business. That was pre-COVID. I have no idea what it is now. Um, and so to your question, Deirdre, one of the other reasons we're very excited about our Venetian real estate acquisition is that on the back lot of the Venetian is being built what will be the most compelling esports venue in the world that being the MSG Sphere. It's called the MSG Sphere, and like he mentioned, it's being built right adjacent to their Venetian purchase. 
Now, to give you an idea of what this new arena looks like and where it actually is, we can look at the strip in Las Vegas on Google Maps. Right here, we're in the fountains of the Bellagio. So this is the famous Bellagio fountains that you see on Ocean's Eleven. And then across from that, you have a bunch of different locations and stores that are right up to the street. On the west side, the hotels are moved and the resorts are moved a little bit back from the sidewalk. On the east side, most of them sit right up against the strip. If we move further up, we have Caesar's Palace here. In my opinion, this is, again, prime real estate right in the location and area that you would want it to be. Across from Caesar's Palace, you have places that frankly aren't quite as high quality. You have the Link, you have the Flamingo. They're okay, they're just no Caesar's Palace. And then if we move up a little bit more north on the Strip, on the west side we have the Mirage, another very high quality location. Right in front of that we have the iconic volcano that goes off every single night. And then across the street from that we have the Venetian. This is the new location that Vici's buying. They own all of this location, plus if we move back here, right a few blocks away, maybe one or two blocks away, which is the MSG Sphere. And this thing looks like it's going to be crazy advanced, like an arena that I really haven't seen before. And Ed talks about what this means for the Venetian, what it means for Vegas in general. It is costing Madison Square Garden, uh, the company, $1.8 billion to build it. It's going to be an 18,000 seat arena, not designed for team sports, but designed for esports and music and will be the most technologically sophisticated arena by far in the world. And we're very excited what that can mean in terms of Las Vegas having yet another tool in addition to sports betting to attract its next generation of customers. This isn't a zero-sum game. Even though Vici doesn't own this arena in and of itself, having this type of iconic attraction, in addition to everything else in Vegas, will attract more people. And Vici does own the Venetian, which sits conveniently one block away from this attraction. So this is definitely going to be an additional attraction to drive more visitors to their hotels and resorts, Caesars Palace and the Venetian, which sit one block away from this. Now, the last thing that I'll highlight from this interview is Ed talking specifically about the stock price and whether or not he thinks it's been bid up too much and investors have missed their opportunity to invest in Vici at an attractive price. Now, if, if you look at a chart of our stock, you could sit there today on May 4th and just, I never look at our price intraday, so don't even tell me what we're doing today. But you could look at our stock over the last few months and go, oh man, I kind of missed it on Vici. You haven't missed it. Because if you, if, if you are a debitee of that old school metric like I am, the price earnings growth ratio, you always want to understand what am I paying for the growth I'm getting. And in the case of Vici, um, in the case of Vici, we have one of the lowest peg ratios, probably the lowest peg ratio of any large cap REIT in America, right? It's probably going to be pretty close to one to one. And that's at a time when most other REITs are well above, you know, probably well above a two to one peg ratio at least. So you haven't missed the run because we have a lot of growth to come that is not yet priced into the stock. So he doesn't think that you've missed your chance to invest in Vici. Obviously, you can take this with a grain of salt. He's the CEO of the company. He's going to be very bullish and enthusiastic about his company. But I like that he comments specifically about the stock price. And he uses a real tangible metric, which is the peg ratio, to say that this company is still attractively priced. So with all of that said... I'm very excited to be buying into this company. I think I'm buying high quality, unique assets at attractive prices that have a long-term growth trajectory. I don't think that you should buy Vici if you're at all bearish on Vegas. 
or the Las Vegas Strip in general in the long term. If you think that that's going to fizzle out or you think that the demand will wear down and they'll have trouble attracting visitors, then this isn't the holding to have. But my opinion, I think that Vegas is looking very attractive as an investment right now. And I think it will continue to see long-term growth as one of the prime destination for travelers to visit. Vegas has been moving in a positive direction for a long time. They have an NFL team. They have an NHL team. They have a brand new stadium being constructed right now that's state-of-the-art. And then further down the strip, they have a brand new high-end casino called Resorts World that is being opened for the first time this weekend. The new Resorts World Las Vegas is pushing the technology envelope in other ways. A mobile pass instead of a bouncer and velvet rope outside the nightclub. No set room service menu. Instead, food delivery from any on-site restaurant to anywhere in the resort, powered by Grubhub. Industry analysts say any new casino on the Strip tends to attract more customers to Las Vegas to check it out, even if they stay at other hotels nearby. That's good news for an economy crippled by coronavirus but rebounding at astonishing levels. It's correct that Vegas is recovering at astonishing levels. Again, I've seen it firsthand. And unless there's some type of new virus that comes along and shuts everything else back down again, I don't see this momentum stopping. Another thing with this Resorts World building is it has one of those massive digital displays on the actual location. And they project different things on the screen. It's incredibly interesting to look at. They already have booked Miley Cyrus and Katy Perry to do massive concerts there. And they'll be projecting the concert on this screen. So anybody nearby can watch the concert, even if they're like three blocks away. So I'm excited and bullish about the things happening in Vegas, the progress it's making, this enormous recovery that it's had shows the amount of demand. And I don't think this is a stimulus check type of event. I don't think that people are going there one time and then they've had their fix of having good experiences and they're done forever. I think that Vegas will maintain its spot as one of the primary destinations for people to visit when they want to have a good time. Vici owns a lot of places outside of Vegas, but you should not buy this stock unless you're bullish on Vegas because their two biggest and iconic properties by far are right on the strip in Vegas. So that is the primary reason that I'm buying these. I think I'll own very unique properties that not only will pay me really good cash flow on a quarterly basis, but I think I'll see a lot of capital appreciation over the next 10 years. So I'm very excited about this stock and I'm going to be purchasing more of it, especially if we see a pullback. If it pulls back 5, 10, 20%, I'll be buying this one more aggressively because I like the management, I like the properties, I like everything happening with this investment. And just based off of my current investment in Vici, it's going to be adding an additional $400 per year in dividends for this portfolio. So an additional $400 a year, then if I grow the position, that income will continue to grow. And all that money gets added to my cash balance and I continue to purchase companies and the cycle continues over and over again. Every single week, every month, I'm using this cash flow to buy more and more companies. And again, if you want to look at my entire portfolio and see every holding, there's a link in the description of this video that you can click on and open up my portfolio. Now, moving on from that, changing gears, I have to talk about this news here. Jeff Bezos is going to space. We've already learned that from his little Instagram announcement. He's bringing his brother with them, and they're going on their suborbital rocket system from a company that he owns called Blue Origin. And this is a trip that was... Is pretty amazing that he announced. He's actually flying out to space with his brother. But tens of thousands of people, and this article needs to be updated from NPR because now it's over 100,000 people, have literally gone online and signed a petition requesting that Jeff Bezos never returns to Earth. 
That's what this petition is for. It's now at 117,727 signatures, and there continues to be new signatures every second. Now, this petition says specifically, billionaires should not exist on Earth or in space, but should they decide the latter, they should stay there. Now, I don't have much to say about the story. Obviously, it's kind of a dumb petition where people are just expressing their discontent with how wealthy Jeff Bezos is. And I agree that he has unfathomable amounts of wealth. He's an incredibly wealthy person. He has far more money than any one person needs. But what I want to ask out of the 118,000 of you that have signed this petition is, do you have an Amazon Prime membership? Because if you're signing a petition online to detract from Jeff Bezos' wealth, While you have an Amazon Prime membership where you give him wealth every single year or every single month, you're actively working against what you're signing here. You're literally handing over part of your hard-earned capital to Jeff Bezos and you're sending him to the moon. So as you sign this petition expressing your discontent for how wealthy he is and that he's going to the moon, just keep in mind that if you have an Amazon Prime membership, you helped fund this trip for him. So you're part of the funding of his vacation to the moon. Now that's all for today's episode. If you like this type of content and want to bring your membership to the next level, there's the Patreon link in the description. You get a free trial and you get access to a community discord, a dividend tracking website, exclusive episodes, and a bunch of other fun stuff. So you can check that out. Again, it's patreon.com slash Joseph Carlson. I'll see you in the next one.